So I notice in me um, very slight uh, nervousness, very slight nervousness, and um, and I I think I uh, I can see the the cause of this uh, because at uh, lunchtime uh, Tara and I were talking and I announced well we came up together somewhat with a theme for this afternoon and I tend to teach a lot alone or often uh, maybe we don't talk about what we'll talk at the talk <laughs> but now I kind of committed and now this is really interesting huh? there's a little I mean it's, uh, it's irrelevant in a way it's just like how the mind this mind seems to work I'm finding out it's like my heart's beating a little bit like am I going to be able to achieve you know, to be up to the task or follow what I kind of committed to. <laughs> I know that Tara couldn't care less. <laughs> in a way, I don't either, but something in me does, apparently. <laughs> it's not... And so it's just interesting to watch. I was like, oh, I'm not, usually I'm not nervous like this, like a slight nervousness. And so... Um, so I'll announce to you the, the, <laughs> the theme, just to see how much the heart will beat. Or, um, but also it might be a way for me to, to stick with the plan. You know, to, by announcing it, it might help me uh, try to uh, explore this. Uh, this is all play. Uh, I'm playing with all this. And so what I intend to do, and that might or not happen... Is, uh, it was just starting with this idea of uh, how does, um, that's in my words here, how does sati, or mindfulness, uh, leads to the opening of the heart? So how does mindfulness lead to uh, the opening of the heart? And... I would think that there's many, many ways, and I'm amazed at this, the number of creative ways that, uh, you know, there are to talk about this, this practice, uh, the ways to practice, but also ways to talk about this practice. And I shouldn't be amazed, that's just what the mind does, you know, it, it plays with concepts, it organizes things, it creates uh, meaning of story, it, it can do this endlessly, we see it. <laughs> just being in silence. <laughs> we can retell the story of what happened differently and, and, you know, try to plan the future if that happened and this happened, and it's kind of endless. You, you will, I don't know if you experience it like this, but it's, it's amazing, the creative power of the mind. I remember one time I got a little bit in trouble by, uh, with this because I was with two friends uh, so there was three of us, and I asked one of the friends that was there about the other friend. We were the three together, and I said, what do you appreciate about this friend of ours? <laughs> I was curious to... So I said, what do you appreciate about this friend? And so this person uh, responded, I am completely amazed at um, their capacity to uh, create scenarios of how wrong it could go. <laughs> Like their endless <laughs> capacity to worry <laughs> and, uh, you know, plan for the worst. Like, <laughs> that was their spontaneous response. Like, I'm amazed. I can't, I can't fathom, like, the capacity of the mind to create uh, so many uh, 
bad scenarios, possible bad scenarios. And I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have asked <laughs> that question. But the mind is creative in this way. It's beautiful. And so for me, the way I want to talk about this today is, um, I think, is by talking about... There's two things that come to mind. They work together. Is uh, A way to talk about what we're doing here is a, a, a training in perception. Or, yeah, it's a training in perception. And I'll try to, you know open this up for us, give, give meaning to this, but we're, we're in a laboratory and we're doing some training in perception. Uh, perceptual training. And um, the way we do this, as I understand, and it might not be exactly the way you are doing it uh, this week or the way you've learned to do it, or, but there's certainly some of this, and you'll see if you recognize this, uh, and to me, one of the main ways we do this is by deconstruction. We're deconstructing uh, in so many ways. And the Buddha was also very creative uh, in his ways of deconstructing uh, reality. Uh, what we take usually to be like me, the story about me, it's me, and me on retreat. And, we, and suddenly we're like, okay, let's slow down a little bit. What is this? that we call retreat? <laughs> what is this that we call me? You know, wh- what is the experience of a human being? What, what is it to be a human being? And there's many ways we can divide it. Ways that maybe you'll recognize outside of Buddhism that we talk about, uh, we divide our experiences uh, inside and outside, maybe internal experience and the external. Maybe that would be one way. It's, you know, it's not that cut and dry, you know, but we can play with this. So inside I feel like shit, <laughs> although that's a beautiful decor, <laughs> you know. So here's the inside and the outside. Anyone recognizing? <laughs> uh, and so this would be, uh, you know, one way. Another way would be maybe mental, physical. That's something we do in, in Buddhist thinking or approaches to practice and it, you know it's, it doesn't totally do it because sometimes there's an inner event, mental event that is happening and it makes the heart beat or the jaw tense or the heart contract and so there's, there's a kind of a communication there but we could talk about this like this you know I've, I'm suffering a lot oh is it you know pain in the knee or is it that you know you're Experiencing being separated from what is dear. Um, the classic, uh, very classic, that you might know of or not, but uh, and we've been using that uh, kind of division uh, because for us, I think, for Tara and I in this lineage, it's the main way to divide experience is with what we call the four foundations. And so I think I've heard us in many ways refer to this. Maybe we, we, we know, we don't name it like this, but we know underneath the structure of our teaching is based on this division of the human experience. So what is a human experience? In a way you could say it's a body, it's materiality, physicality. So when we talk about the body, we'll talk about breath, about posture, 
you know, when you walk, know you walk. When you're sitting, know you're sitting. So we're attending, we're, we're isolating a bit the physical aspect of our experience. And then there's uh, something we call feeling tone or Vedana, Tara, referred to this this morning. So we say, uh, with every experience that we have, there is some valence of pleasure or displeasure. Uh, a nice bird song uh, or a sound from coming from the road over there that is slightly unpleasant, you know, and on and on with taste and with... Uh, with things felt in the body, oh, that's a pleasant experience, that's an unpleasant experience. So that's a second foundation. So we take the whole of a human experience and we divide it. Often the retreat is built on this division. On the first day we'll talk about breath, second day we'll still do body with posture, with sensations, pain in the body. Then we'll get to another day and we'll talk about uh, maybe, uh, it could be this, we could invite you know, when we do at 9.30 the instruction, maybe this, we're isolating an aspect of reality. And it might be an invitation to notice pleasure, the relationship to pleasure, to displeasure. So we're dividing our experience instead of being, me and this is happening to me. It's like, oh, what's happening? Oh, there's a body here. It's breathing. It's breathing. Oh, there's a sensation. Oh, the sensation is unpleasant. Another foundation is, uh, is the, the, the quality of the mind, the mind, the heart mind, so the emotions. Uh, Tara talked about this today. So we're kind of isolating this a little bit. We're saying, yes, it's me sitting here, but what's happening in this me sitting here? Ah, suddenly there's quietness, or irritation arises and passes. So, we, so we're deconstructing, no, would you say? We're de- dis- deconstructing our reality. Even with the body, we just, we just, it's not just you walking for 30 or 45 minutes. It's one step. One step. It's even lifting, pushing, placing, or intention to lift, lifting, intention to push, pushing, intention to place, placing. But that would be more like next week. <laughs> if we were here, we, we would need to gather the mind to get to that level of subtlety. Our mind is, don't want to insult anyone, <laughs> but our mind is a little too gross. <laughs> not too, not, our attention is not enough refined, probably, for most of us to see this. It's, it's much more subtle. Uh, but we still, we're deconstructing everything. We're like, now this is a sitting. This is this moment. I even... Uh, seem to hear Tara inviting us to uh, deconstruct reality by moment to moment. I think I've heard you, Tara, say this a few times, moment by moment, or something, some expression like this, one moment at a time, you know? And so we're breaking down this experience that we, usually with superficial attention, it's all me, period. Like, let's take some scissors. There's a fourth foundation, I won't get into this today, but another way that the Buddha has to, and we might play with this uh, later in the retreat, to divide experience, even of the body, he'll invite us to notice that what we call the body is actually a play of only four things. Earth, fire, water, um, there's one missing. 
sky, air. <laughs> and so that's one way to start to deconstruct our reality. It's, it's me, it's about me, it's happening to me. And we're like, let's notice the earth element, the pressing, has weight or is pressing. Let's notice that, yes, there is the gravity, but there's also a play of air. Movement, rising, falling of the belly, air coming in and out. And there's also some play of water happening, dryness, wetness, fluidity, something like this. And then suddenly there's maybe heat because of anger or digestive heat. And so we come closer to our experience with this, in, this intention to deconstruct a bit the, the reality. And there was an invitation, I think, today to do this with uh, emotions. I'm moving a little bit from bits and parts of experience to bits and parts of experience in the free, in the free way. But if I go back to emotion, I say, so what is an emotion? It's me. I, I feel like, you know... I'm so agitated. It's like, so what is agitation? Is it pleasant or pleasant? We, we, we're deconstructing an emotion. It's like, oh, it's actually unpleasant. Okay, that's, where is it felt in the body? It's felt here. Oh, so there's a sensation to it, to anxiety, to fear, or maybe to joy. There's other sensations. And then we'll, this morning Tara was saying, is there a kind of a mood or tonality or texture, it's hard to, but a kind of uh, ambiance in the mind. So different, you know, if I'm, uh, if the the mind is friendly, there's a certain ambiance in a friendly mind. If the mind is (laughs) psycho-rigid, as we would say maybe in, in French, you know, like, it's like this, it should be like this, it should have been like this, this is how you do this, it's not like this. You know, it's like, oh, there's a certain <laughs> quality of the mind. It's not like, oh yeah, these things happen, it's okay. You know? <laughs> it's, a, it's a different way of... So the thinking, the story that is told, how it's told, is a particular thing. The sensation is another thing. So we're deconstructing uh, uh, emotions, mind states, so we do this in all kinds of ways. There's even more ways. The five aggregates we mentioned. Um, so it seems like a lot of the what the Buddha is inviting us to do is to come close to experience and deconstruct it very slowly, very slowly. We actually have a kind of a... Again, I'm using these words. I talk about practice in this way. Uh, there's other ways, and that's the beauty of it. There's other ways to talk about practice. But all these different ways to talk about it might help us understand what we're doing better or see for ourselves. I hope it doesn't create more confusion, but I wouldn't be against it also. <laughs> you know, if I know too much where, what I'm doing, you know, like in, I'm slightly mistaken, it's good that there's some confusion. So one way that I understand what we're doing is that we're trying also to locate or recognize the building blocks of reality. What are the building blocks? What is the basic matter that what I call me is made of? 
So I'm breaking down to the smallest bit. I'm trying to see what's the, yeah, what's the, the smallest bit. And so we're, um, we're tending towards uh, uh, observing, uh, connecting, perceiving reality in a more absolute way. That's a language that is used. Absolute reality. What are the building blocks of reality? The way we live our life, in Buddhist maybe psychology, we would call this the way we think of our life, perceive our life. Uh, uh, we would maybe call it uh, conventional reality. There's a conventional reality. They're the same. It's the same stuff that is happening, but it's different views. We can view it in a conventional way, or we can view it in an absolute way. I'll give you an example uh, from the theater, because that's the world I kind of come from, and I like that world because of these two kinds of realities. Would you agree that when you go see a play, there's two kinds of realities? There's a reality that we all agree on, maybe we say, let's pretend it's happening in the 18th century, shall we? Okay, let's pretend. We'll dress up and... You and I will pretend we're brother and sister and we're not having a good time, you know. We'll pretend that everybody, they saw you in another, you know, sitcom on TV. They saw me playing Hamlet or something else or, or just the valet of Hamlet <laughs> in the back, you know, the guard. <laughs> But we all agree. It's a conventional reality. Huh? It's an agreed upon reality. We say, okay, let's pretend it's another time. And as we agree on this, we buy into it some, and then the hearts start beating. Oh, oh my God, I wonder what is it going to do to his sister? <laughs> you know, and oh, she can't call at that time. There was no cell phone. She's caught in the house without a phone. <laughs> and we, we buy into it. Huh? And, uh, and it's juicy. It's very juicy. And it's lovely to go to the theater and pretend that this actress or the, is that character, you know. And so it's the same here with reality, in a way. We say there's a kind of an agreed-upon reality, but we haven't questioned it, you know. Like, again, in, in the conventional, in the theater, you know, there'll be a weapon, you know, like, oh, it's the knife, and I go like this. And the, it's a device, right? it's a prop, no? The, 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 the metal bit is plastic, and it com it's soft, and it comes in and out. You know, as I do this... And we're like, oh my God, oh my God. And so what it looks like it is, it's not exactly this when you look closer. It's, so, it's a little different. It's actually maybe completely different. You're like, oh my God, it's a prop. There's no, like there's nothing sharp to it. You know, it's just soft. And so the way we live our life uh, in the Buddhist psychology, it says that we, we live in a conventional reality, conventional understanding of reality. So we take things personal, we think it's happening to me, and we're really, we think about me and me later, and what happened to me or me or, and mine, my people, or whatever, like this, and we, that's the view we have. And here we're doing some deconstruction to see, is that absolute, absolutely true? Or is it just conventional? It's a kind of an understanding, a kind of an agreement that we maybe unconsciously I've bought into. So this is what spiritual practice is. We're going to see what is real. What is actually real? That's the, the quest of the Buddha. It's like, what, what is actually mine? What is actually me? 
And so we slow down. Oh, no, he's not going to start with the slow down. <laughs> Let go of some of the busy, busyness and preoccupation with the story. We, the, there has to be some conditions for this research to happen. You know, if when the bell ring, I go back to my room and I just keep telling my story of myself and later and this and that, and I'm on my phone texting, and I come back here and like, I understand nothing. Of course, it's not possible because I'm caught in that conventional reality. I have to do some letting go, some kind of act of faith. Like, okay, let me let go of all my fascinations and explore the world in a different way. And so we're going to see. You know, we slow down and we sit. It's like, okay, what in conventional reality we would call the body? Let's see if that holds. If there is such a thing as a body. And lo and behold we might discover that there is no such thing. <laughs> Why are you doing on Thursday, uh, next Thursday's talk? <laughs> it's a little early for that. <laughs> well, I'm going there. <laughs> and so as we sit here and we pay attention to the body, we we'll, might discover along the way that there's no body. There's no body per se, no solid... Cons- there's just like... At some point it's hot, at some point it's cold, at some point it's tingling, at some point it's numb, at some point it's kind of centered and light, at some point it feels crooked and it's painful. Would you agree some, a little bit, that this, this, what we call the body is almost like, to use an image here, it would be a river of sensation, or a field of changing sensations. And the purpose of slowing down and bringing the best quality attention in the moment is to discover that the body is, is a concept. It's referring to a whole wide range of experiences. The body that was outside in the grass earlier and now this experience here is so different. No, it's my body, that's it. I don't want to hear anything else about it. <laughs> well, <laughs> wrong, wrong place. Because here we're questioning all assumptions. The Buddha went very, very far. He questioned everything that seemed like basic. Well, it's a basic fact that we have a body. Well, let's check it out. Is that true? Does that hold? Let's pay attention. Let's stay. Let's stay attentive. And one moment, it's an experience of expansion. The next, it's an experience of uh, contraction. Maybe even for a few seconds, up to 20 minutes, there might be nobody at all because I'm so much in my head that there was no toes there in experience. No toes, no legs, no nothing. I was just like over there having that fight with somebody about something, you know. And suddenly they oh, when the bell ring or somebody sneezes or <laughs> something happens, and that suddenly body appears in experience. Maybe it might be useful to understand, that's how I understand it, I'll put it this way, that the Buddha is interested in uh, uh, life, the nature of things, from the point of view of a human being, not from another point of view. Is interested in the point of view of a human being. For a human being, uh, this is changing all the time. I remember this uh, kind of a 
strong insight into this. Uh, one time I was at the Insight Meditation Society where we've practiced a lot and, and I've been trained and, and teach. It was in winter and I was walking outside on, on the road. Uh, you know, maybe at the break I had gone for a longer walk on the road. And I was walking back to, uh, to IMS. It was winter Big, big uh, snow uh, banks, bon neige. <laughs> and, uh, and so roads narrow, much countryside road, very narrow because lots of uh, snow. And I was walking up towards uh, the Inside Meditation Society and suddenly a big yellow school bus was coming. <laughs> And it was coming down the hill and I was coming up and I was trying to be on the no sidewalk, <laughs> you know, like kind of in the snow. And the bus was coming and it was like getting larger by the second. <laughs> you know, it was like expanding like this. And, uh, and, and, and I was walking, walking, walking. And at some point there was bus, you know, like that was the whole of my experience was yellow bus, you know, passing by in my heart like... Ugh. You know, and then it was gone, and suddenly I felt my leg walking. <laughs> I was still walking. And I was like, wow, they had completely disappeared. There was no legs there. I don't know if somebody from the outside who was watching could have said, no, they were, they were still there. But from the point of view of experience, of a human being, of this one, from that subjective point of view, they vanished and reappeared, you know, or arose, appeared. And so here we'll do this with, that's why it's the first foundation, it's the first invitation, the first aspect of life, life that we're invited to come to, close to. So we can de develop this wisdom to know that it's dynamic, it's changing. It's, why would we care about this? Well, honey pie, aging, sickness and death are clear experiences of change you know, in the body. And so we're slowly preparing here for that. We want to, training in perception, we want to train ourselves to not solidify things. That's a tendency of the mind that conceptualizes. What is a concept? If you ask me, <laughs> a concept is a bunch of moving things <laughs> that you gather together and you say, tree. <laughs> But it's something that loses its leaves, breaks down, uh, changes form, you know, it's, it's something very alive, changing all the time, you know, and I, but I call it pre, you know. And so here we're training in perception, we're trained to, to become sensitive to the dynamic nature of things. It's to prepare for death. It's to prepare for the death of our loved ones. It's to prepare for sickness. It's, to, it's also to, um, to liberate ourselves from wrong view, from mistaken view, identity, or appropriation. Maybe we made something mine. It's mine. It's my body. We, we made it mine. And when it starts changing, or like we, we get very confused. Of course we would, you know. I believe this was mine, and solidly mine, and absolutely mine. I didn't know it was made from nature. Conditional. It was something dynamic the whole time. At some point it was on its fours, and at some point it stood up and fell down. <laughs> you know, and uh, and it's changing. It's changing, and and it it's uh, it's in complete 
relationship with nature, with what's in the air, water, earth. It's completely, it's not a part at all. We call this the environment, but it's not at all. It's, we are, uh, in a way, the earth, and we're going to return to it. And we isolate it in some way. It's very, you know, cultural thing to do, probably. <laughs> you know, to you know, we were taught this, maybe by our parent. Your nose, your nose, your arm. You know, and okay, I bought into this. It made sense. It was good for a while. It's conventionally useful, but it's limited and limiting. And so here, this is spiritual practice. We're training ourselves to perceive things as they truly are, as they actually are, not ours, not solid, dynamic, changing. And so that's what we're doing here when we slow down and we pay attention. We do this with the body, and then we start to do this with the heart, or mind, if you will. I don't, I don't mind. You, you use the word that resonates for you. And we start to, this. you know, we sit here, and we notice that it keeps commenting, and so we're deconstructing our beliefs without I'm thinking, I'm doing the thinking. It doesn't take much, very long to start to discover that I'm not doing the thinking, it's doing itself. <laughs> and now it's going this way, you know. Or is it, am I at least beginning to touch something, even if it doesn't seem absolutely right, like at least some of the time, right, you know. And suddenly there's things that are being said that are coming from the, either the culture, the dominant culture, the, from capitalism, from... Like I'd be, be sitting here and I'd want to be shopping for something. It's, somebody's cooking for me, I have clothes, I have everything, but I, somehow I'd prefer to be at the Walmart next door. <laughs> you know, is it really my thoughts? Or something got through, got conditioned, you know, that I seem to exist by... Acquiring some, something would be, you know, maybe not you, you're spiritual. I'm, I'm, not, I'm just starting on this path. But there's this, you know, this message about, you know, you're, you're sitting there and instead of being just with a body, an experience of sensation changing, you know, we're stuck with a body that is not enough. It's too much like this or not enough like this. Or it's like, where? It's not the right color, it's not the right form, it's not the right age, it's not like... These are my thoughts? Are they really my thoughts? Or are they coming from cause and conditions, from exposure to delusion, through media, through magazines, through values of a you know, deluded society? And here I am, suddenly hating myself, I think it's my thoughts, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's just you know, intoxication from the environment you know, that I've been in. And so I discover, oh, these are not my thoughts. These are learned thoughts, learned biases that I have against myself or others. And so we have the chance here with the silence, with the length of the time, or deep, deep time, I almost want to say, that we're in to actually notice these arisings. And these things arise, they do their maybe oppressive thing, and then they, they vanish. And we start to notice, oh, 
this is not exactly me. It's, it's something that arises, does it, it comes from somewhere else. But it's been internalized, maybe it's been. And so we're deconstructing uh, thoughts. We're deconstructing emotions. You know, we fear, we don't want to feel some emotion, and slowly we gain some kind of patience, courage, slight curiosity. We come a little closer, and we discover that, oh, it's just pressure in the chest. It's just, I was fearing this, hating this, despising this, fearing it's uh, present, you know. And now I'm learning that I can actually allow for, you know, however it feels, contracted or broken or hollow or acid or electric or numb or frozen or that I can come close to and allow it to, to be known. And it's not exactly me, it's an event that is happening. And I start to deconstruct anxiety, I start to deconstruct uh, shame. Oh, it's a, it's a certain grouping maybe of sensations and the belief that I'm worthless is something else. They, they're in a relationship. One causes maybe the other, but they're two things. They're not like one, oh my God. It's just, oh yeah, there's this oppression, this contraction in the chest, and this sense of a bad self. You know? This is an impression. So we're deconstructing emotions and uh, experiences of the body. Um, so we're getting closer to the building blocks. Even, uh, it goes far, it goes far. Even what we, you know, what we might think of, or let's start with just this, I might think of, of this is essentially me, essential me. Okay, the body, okay, I'll give you that. It's changing, Okay. But the consciousness inside, <laughs> that is moi. Don't you dare touch this. You know, what experiences, what witnesses, what is observing. This is solid, permanent me. Okay? And as we pay attention, as we slow down and pay attention, we might discover, oh, this moment of knowing a sound vanished with the sound moment of feeling sensations appeared with the sensation this moment of knowing this heat on the skin earlier outside this moment of knowing was ephemeral there was a moment of knowing it came and it went where is that moment of knowing it's gone we might go that far to actually start to question even what is core me in my belief, or sense, or impressions, or perception, because it is a training in perception. What I've been trained to perceive as core me, essential, unchanging me, the Buddha, at least, questioned these perceptions and went to see, is there a core me there? Don't touch this, Pascal. That's the only thing left for me. 
Well, I'm touching it because apparently it leads to a lot of suffering, that view. It's isolating, it's, uh, it's, uh, it brings fear. And in the practice we have the chance to go and check this out. Is that true? Somebody was uh, in the group today, uh, was kind of touching a bit on this, or maybe another aspect that we deconstruct, you know, intention, the intention to speak, the intention to, the intention to go back to my room instead of walking, the intention to scratch, the intention to reflect and think about something, the intention. We might think also, this is core me, you know, I'm the one emitting emitting the intention, formulating, creating the intention. I'm the one intending. And as we slow down and we pay attention, we might discover that, wow, how wild is this? Even that intending is not exactly me. Even that little building block of intention arises and dies. You know, to me it's really interesting that, uh, you know, we're all sitting like this, quiet, and some, at some point you hear a sound, there's a sound, and suddenly everybody has the intention to open the eyes and move the legs <laughs> a bit. It's like, I decide to move. You do, but it's interesting that you decided then. <laughs> <laughs> Were the conditions supportive for this intention to ar- arise? I remember on retreat, sometimes I would uh, sit in the dining hall, I would, uh, with fork, I would uh, kind of, uh, what is the, pick, pick, yeah, pick, broccoli, let's see. And I would just stand there with the broccoli on fork in hand, just like this. And the intention to go towards my mouth would arise. <laughs> Like the conditions were there for the intention to to do this, you know. If there was just the fork and not the broccoli, like said somehow, like the intention was not there. If there was the broccoli but no fork, the intention of moving the arm like this was not there. But if there is arm, fork, broccoli, that might be just enough to tend to want to do this. I'm playing with this, but. It's deep, it's deep stuff. <laughs> you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't know it, but it's very deep stuff. That's why sometimes, you know, I'm back in bed and I'm like, why did I say this? Why did I say this? You know? There was something that was happening, you know, some emotion made me say something to look better, to... to does that happen to you? Or only to French-Canadians? <laughs> You know, like, why did I say this? It's not exactly you who said this. It was fear. It was greed. It was wanting to be seen in a certain way. It was need to control. There was some something. And what I'm saying, this doesn't, uh, doesn't, doesn't exclude responsibility. I can be fully responsible for what I say, what I do, and yet recognize that, ah, that there was this... This action, these words were led by delusion, were led by, by, you know, some emotion that was there, some mind state, some 
some lack of consideration, some uh, attachment, greed, some you know hatred, etc. And through this uh, work of uh, deconstructing, of going to see the building blocks of reality, consciousness, intention, emotions, thoughts, sensations, these are the kind of building blocks, we could say, of reality, to go and isolate them. It's very delicate to do. You cannot just like, okay, let's go do it. No, if the mind has been superficial and busy and and fascinated by its own thoughts, we won't be able to do the deconstruction. It takes very particular conditions that we're trying to create here, to do this deconstruction. And when we have isolated a little, uh, you know, a block of reality, a little basic block of reality, then we want to see its basic features, its basic, how it's behaving. How is a sensation behaving? How is an intention behaving? What, is, what are the, the basic characteristics of these building blocks? Are you following me a little bit here? I hope. I so hope. Uh, and so we're going to see like these, these little things called sensations, called uh, mind states, called uh, that are of the public domain. Huh? Who owns sensations here? No, it's of the public domain. It happens. It's natural. It's in nature. Sensation is little events happening in nature. So are moods and emotions. And, uh, and so we isolate, we try to isolate them with attention and see how they behave. And we've given a few hints on this uh, up to now. And some of you know that uh, in the course of practice, we'll, we'll see their, their main features of these little things, how they behave, how they, their characteristics. I'm trying to use different words to talk about this. So... What is the main thing about the sensation? Some are pleasant and some are unpleasant. So it's not the absolute universal feature of a sensation to be pleasant. Huh? Would you agree? It's sometimes pleasant, sometimes unpleasant. But what is it at its core? What is it, its core characteristic? What is its nature? Like What is it really made of? Well, many have found that all sensations, those pleasant, those unpleasant, those felt by me, those felt by others, those of the past, future, present, all have in common to be impermanent. And so this is the training in perception here. We're trained to like these perceptions and don't like these. We're trained to want these, uh, these sensations and not want the other sensations. And here we're saying, we're going to train to actually see how they arise and pass, because it's going to be really liberating to see this. Something in the heart will open, be released, some kind of false view, expectations, will be released, will be released from thinking that, you know, we should only have good sensations, that we can control them, that we're going to see that they arise and pass. This is inside. I'm saying this just with words. It's so limited. It's information. information. It's, it's very superficial. With words, I can only get that far. Maybe other teachers are better than me. They can transmit in some way. But, uh, you know, this is information here. 
Maybe there's something we can reflect on. Has this been true for me? That the sensations I've felt in my life have not been uh, permanent. That's, that's worth... No, I've always felt great. <laughs> okay, good. That's a good start. <laughs> Let's start there. You know, I've always been... No, I've always been in control. Okay, so the sense of being in control... Others have found that it comes and goes. <laughs> Mostly it goes. <laughs> but let's slow down and pay attention. Maybe we'll discover you know, that it's different. You know, that it comes and goes. Uh, and it might be liberating. And it might op- open the heart to notice this. Oh my God. Sensation. So we can receive this information. We can think about this. That's a second depth, layered depth. You know, reflecting about this. Has it been true? The sensations or emotions, or take pretty much anything, intentions, have been fluctuating in my life. Has that been true? So you think about this. But that's also limited. There's something else needed for liberation. It's repeated, uh, lucid experience of the disappearance and appearance of these things. And that's what we're doing here. We're creating the conditions to train to do this perceptual training to see the arising and passing of sensations. That's why we say we're invited to feel the breath. So we can notice it comes and goes. It comes and goes. If you don't want the breath, it makes you feel tight and controlled and it's a little oppressive to be with the breath, no problem, honey. You be with sounds and silence and you'll notice the same thing. Sounds come and go. The proof is in the pudding. (laughs) You don't want to do sound? I'm tired. I've heard the instructions about sound. Do taste. You know, you'll notice how taste appear and disappear. You don't. You want to do with emotions? You'll see the fluctuation. You'll go from angry to very angry, (laughs) frustrated to exhausted of being angry, (laughs) to shutting down, and other possibilities also. And we'll notice, oh, not, not, I don't want this one and I want that one, but look at how they fluctuate. Yeah. So this is one of the basic way that uh, phenomena to group together all the different events, you know, perceptions, thoughts, emotions, uh, views, intentions, sensations, everything that makes a human being has the characteristic to come and go. And meditation uh, creates the condition for us to experience this. There's nothing like experiencing it. And we need to experience it again and again. That's why it's, uh, you know, it's six days, because it takes three days to calm down. <laughs> and then there's maybe a couple of days to see a few arising and passing. You know? That's why we say stay, staying, staying. So we can, you know, if we're going to the next thought, the next fascination, if we stay a little bit, we're going to see something arise and pass. Maybe just the sound of the bird, or the passing of the insect, or the flashing through of an idea, a desire. Want to be home now? You know, and see, stay with this. You'll see at some point, whoops, it will vanish, maybe. Another characteristic that we'll find out is that any of these things, any of these little uh, building blocks of reality, any of what our reality is made of, 
uh, is uh, can be totally satisfying. Oh, just when I thought that that relationship should have been satisfying, and I'm still angry at the person because it should have been satisfying. <laughs> you know? Oh, I'm discovering through practice that things don't have in them the nature to satisfy completely. It's because they come and go. They're unstable, they change, they're liable to conditions. They're shaky. They can't. They can't do this. Institutions can't do this. Others can do this. I can't. No, I will. I'm working really hard on my self-development. <laughs> At some point, my personality is going to be really satisfying <laughs> for me and others. I'm almost there. On Instagram, it is. <laughs> I've managed to control it. It's really satisfying. I'm really satisfied <laughs> about how it looks on Instagram. It looks always happy. always has the best experience. The best, best coffee with the best heart on the <laughs> shape, whatever it is, you know. But by paying attention here, we'll start to notice, oh, things appear and disappear. They can't provide in this way. And the liberation can be this, this liberation of, ah, oh, renouncing, letting go of this satisfaction being found in whatever it is that I'm projecting satisfaction on. It seems kind of a, a bad news. It's so intriguing that on the path, it's li really liberating. Oh. And I kept demanding of myself to be perfect or, or do everything right, and I'm noticing, actually, things can't do this. So neither can I. It's not going to be possible for me to... Ah, peace things are going to be uh, I'm so sorry in English you don't have that word you might have something that comes close to it but in French we have this word bancal bancal it means unstable yeah unstable is a good choice bancal is, means uh, usually it refers to a, you know a, you go to a restaurant and the table is just a little or the chair is a little so every time you're like you're talking with your friend you put your hands <laughs> <laughs> the coffee spills, or you know, it's like the, so. This is the nature of of things, of events, of phenomena. They they're not they don't have they're not perfect from the point of view of a human being who's sensitive to things that work well, that beautiful things that last, things that are not fun that don't last, you know. And in reality, that's not exactly like this. Sometimes things they disappear before we would like them to disappear or they stay as we would want, like them to, to go, or they come uninvited, you know. Uh, and so that's what happens in reality. Things are, yeah, unstable. Is that what you just said? Unstable. And so when we start to touch this with more intimacy, there's something that is touched in the heart, the vibrant heart. It's kind of bittersweet, maybe is a way to talk about this. But it's also re brings some kind of relief to be aligned with things as they are, to be aligned with nature. Because always when you think like things should go well and they don't, you know, you're always disappointed, always kind of surprised, shocked a bit. Oh, it didn't, didn't work out. You know? Well, it's not supposed to. Or maybe it does for a while, but it's very natural that it would break down or that it wouldn't connect as it could. 
And so what it can do uh, is it can open the heart in a way that nothing else can. It's a, it can be a kind of a ripping open of the heart. It's kind of a, maybe this painful, but there's a tenderness that can arise from that recognition. There's a tenderness, like, oh, look at this. We're all trying to find satisfaction in this and that and accumulations or experiences or stabilizing things and it's not possible to stabilize things. Wow. Maybe there's a possibility for compassion to arise for us, for human beings and their mistaken views, understanding of the world, how they're constantly disappointed or surprised or, or confused. You know, are they, how they're, we're deluded. And with this, maybe there's a way to enter in a different relationship with the world, with the body, with uh, our relationships, you know, knowing, you know, there's going to be, you know, uh, challenges. It's going to be unstable, it's going to change. If the thing doesn't change itself, my view of it will at some point. You know, it looked desirable and new, and you know, and then when I'm in contact with it, suddenly I start to see the defective nature, maybe, or the incapacity for this thing to provide deeply. And there's tons of nuances, you know, to what I'm just saying here. Uh, but I think there is something to this that needs to be considered. So we slow down, we pay attention, we're deconstructing our reality, building block by building block. Uh, we're isolating in a way, we're coming close to building blocks, and we start to see how they behave, these little events. A sound, a taste, a mood, a situation. And by paying attention in a certain way, with mindfulness, paying attention to how it behaves, we're going to discover, ah, it's unstable, it's changing. It was there and then it's gone. And then we do this with very small things. Like for me earlier, it was just, uh, you know, I walk, I reach the end of the little path, there's a certain view, there's depth here, there's beauty because of the rows of trees, and, you know, like you see far away, and there's an experience, it's a visual experience, and it's a pleasant visual experience for me at that moment of uh, space, space and nature. And then I turn, and oh, it's gone. It was so conditional. It was conditional to me facing that way. I just change one little condition, I face the other way. And then that view is gone. Suddenly there is asphalt. <laughs> you know, it's gone. And you're like, no, it's behind, it's behind, <laughs> you can turn. But, you know, it's a way to discover, oh, it's, it's very ephemeral. You know, you just change a little something, and it's gone. I remember one time, uh, I've, I've told this story a couple of times, you might have heard it. Uh, one time I was with um, uh, the, uh, somebody at the time, a partner, uh, uh, 
and we were uh, by a beautiful river with uh, with a waterfall, and at that particular waterfall, like others have that too sometimes, you know, uh, if you go on the other side of the wall of the waterfall, there's a little kind of little space where you can breathe and you're safe, and there's a wall, you know, of light maybe coming through the. And so we were there. It was a beautiful day, and we just were playing at coming in and out and kind of, uh, you know, in awe of nature and this possibility of coming under the waterfall and coming out. And and, uh, at some point, there were people on the other bank of the river. There was a group of young men, and uh, they were drinking and having fun, and we could hear them laugh and tell jokes, you know, and it was pretty lively. And at some point, I think they understood that we were a couple. And maybe alcohol helping, they started to shout things. We couldn't really hear, but we could sense the, the aggression. And it was really remarkable how suddenly, you know, there was still this beautiful day, this beautiful sunshine, the green forest, uh, the waterfall. Nothing had disappeared but it felt very, very different. It felt uh, unpleasant, is a euphemism here. It felt uh, dangerous, it felt threatening. Like the access to beauty was so, it was so, it was still there. You would say, yeah, you didn't even, I didn't even have to turn around, you know. I, it was there. It was, the waterfall was falling, but it was not fun anymore. It was dangerous. Uh, that's how it felt, or maybe that's how, that was the intention, maybe to play, that's what we call cruelty maybe, it's like, let's make their fun uh, fade you know, and disappear completely let's see how much power we have you know, mm-hmm. to, as a group, you know, and suddenly there was like, where's the exit, how can we exit and, and, and the way out back to the parking lot was the path that I, we knew was through these people and we're like, oh you know, and there's a chance that it would be nothing else, just laughing at the you know, at the faggots but the unsubstantial nature of beauty, the unstable nature of beauty, was revealed very clearly to me. It was like, wow, suddenly there's no more beauty. It's still all the same things, but it has switched. It's disappeared. You know? And actually, I'd never gone back there. You know? And the partner of the time told me I went there several times to reclaim that place. You know? But it's a work, you know. Uh, to do this. And so that shows that, you know, even beautiful waterfall with the right amount of pressure that you can actually go under and there's a wall is unstable in this way. Very, very, it can change in a second. You know, you not even need somebody else, just the thought of yours. You know, just something that would come in as a thought. And whoops, suddenly the beauty's gone. And so here we come closer to this and it makes us vulnerable. It has the capacity to open the heart. Maybe in the word of uh, uh, Zenju Earthen Manuel, you know, it can it can give us access to complete tenderness for the world, for the world we're in, and maybe out of this can be born a desire not to hurt. You know? You discover how fragile 
the sense of safety is, are fragile, are unstable. And then, uh, very naturally, in this practice, uh, metta will arise. Oh, I so want to folks to be safe. It's very natural. I so want to people to feel safe. I don't want my words, action, or are, you know, are as a group, as a dominant group. As a, I don't want our to actually be to the detriment. So it's going to take care. It's going to take a lot of honesty and care and listening, considering. This, this is the opening of the heart to this practice as I understand it. So there's a shaking of the heart, compassion, trembling of the heart. And equanimity is also coming from that. When there's a deep understanding that things are going to break, there's something in the heart that can relax. Okay, there's going to be old age, there's going to be disease, there's going to be death. It's a spiritual practice, it's a real practice is the right word here. We have to practice, we have to train to actually come close to this and accept this. This deep acceptance of the shaky nature of the world. And then the heart in ways liberated and it can get engaged. It's not just acceptance. Ah, this is how it is. No, it's a deep recognition. And the deep recognition includes a recognition of agency. I can do something about this. You know, I can contribute in some way to the safety, the well-being of others through my words, my action, creativity. Let me be attentive to find the opportunities. And suddenly I'm not in acquiring anymore, in hate anymore. I'm in care. So that's me trying to say how this practice of mindfulness through deconstruction, through discovering how the building blocks of reality are transient, ephemeral, impermanent, shaking, unstable, cannot be fully, absolutely owned, because changing, how this can lead to the opening of the heart. Okay, thank you so much for your consideration. Thank you. May all beings, no one excluded, uh, be protected truly by our practice, by our waking up to what's going on inside ourselves and between ourselves, amongst ourselves. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.